Our scripture this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, may be found in your pew Bible on page 207 in the New Testament. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and, in, and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. The word of the Lord. When we think of Christianity, we tend to think of a single monolithic religion. But the truth is much more complicated than that. Our faith is one with a myriad of traditions and expressions and theological points of view. One of my theologically nerd hobbies is to simply explore the different kinds of Christianity there are in the world. I did not grow up Pentecostal, but my friend did. When he invited me to his church, I was excited because that was an incredibly different expression of faith than I grew up with. He told me before I went to his church that they didn't start worshiping until 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I said, why 2 o'clock? Well, we have a prayer service every Saturday night that goes so late, we want people to be able to get some sleep. And then he leaned in closer to me as if to tell me a secret, and he said, besides, if you have worship service at 2, you beat everybody else to the good restaurants. Okay. So he invites me to his 2 o'clock worship service, which worked great for me because mine was, you know, morning time and I could go over after. And as I walked into the church, his senior minister ran over to me and said, is it true you play the drums? I said, yes. He said, we would love for you to sit in with us on the stage. He didn't know if I played well. <laughs> Let me assure you, Jim Bell does not run the music ministry that way here at Peachtree Christian. So I go with him up to the stage, and I'm sitting there behind the drummer. I don't know what I'm expected to do. The service had a lot of people speaking in tongues and falling out in the Holy Spirit. And I'll be honest with you, just to be frank and honest, I was kind of happy to be away from everyone with a wall behind me because I was a fish out of water. I didn't ever experience a movement in a room like this before. And in that moment, the drummer fell out in the spirit, and he hopped off the drum kit, and he began doing laps around the sanctuary. I now learned my purpose. I hopped on the seat, and I started playing, and I didn't move. I watched this service, and I observed from my perch. The preacher got up. 
he talked about how he had been to lunch earlier at a place called the Ponderosa. He was describing the food that he was eating and that he had put on probably a couple extra pounds just from lunch. Uh, he was an overweight man. He told everybody that, so I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. And then here's what he said about his weight. He said, oh, it doesn't really matter. He said, we all know I'm just going to throw off this old junky body one day when I get to heaven. I'm not sure how you feel about that sort of thinking. And to get into how some modern Christians believe the faith to be wholly otherworldly, frankly, would just take too long for a sermon. But let me just say to you, I do think this is a misdevelopment of doctrine appearing pretty much in the modern age. See, for me, when I read Scripture, I believe our faith is absolutely interested in this world. It's fleshy. It's interested in the mundane daily life, and in fact, each and every breath you take. One of my favorite 20th century pastors and theologians is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote that our faith is an earthy faith. You can only practice it with two feet firmly planted on the ground. This morning, we are reading from a letter written by St. Paul to a church in a town called Thessalonica, and it addresses a genuine problem for the community, a daily day-to-day -day problem, that is this. Some people are not doing their job. They're not doing their part. They're not working. Have you ever been on a team where there was at least one person not doing their part? It's infuriating, isn't it? When I was in college, I was in this math class, and the professor was interested in every new pedagogical fad that came out, I'm not sure the best way to teach math, but I don't think it's this way. Instead of sitting like you do in rows where there's a lecture, which probably also isn't the best way of teaching math, but I'm no expert, he had us instead in clusters, in groups that we would, we would have to be in the entire semester, desks facing each other to form groups, and every single homework assignment was supposed to be done as a group. Oh, I can see some of you grimacing. I would usually try to corral the group to, to not even go home from class, but to go right to the cafeteria and start our homework right then and there. And that's how we began our first group session. But there was this one character who didn't really want to offer much. I think we were all getting frustrated. We could all see it. He was aloof and off on the corner. And then he got up and he walked outside. And then we all began to talk about him. No one would talk to him, I'll confess. We just like to talk about him. As he went outside and did whatever he did, which we discovered a few minutes later when he came back in smelling of Marlboro cigarettes, he sat there week after week, not contributing until he dropped out of the course. Boy, he made us mad. Apparently, there are people not doing their work in this community. So, St. Paul says something rather startling to my ear. I'm not sure if it's startling to yours, but he says this to the church, those that don't work should not eat. I have heard this phrase uttered in modern political settings to decry welfare or the so-called entitlement programs, but is there justification from this text to apply it in that way? I'm not quite so sure. 
let's consider some of the reasons why a faction of people in this church might not be doing their part, might not be working, that rather carrying on, as St. Paul calls them, like busybodies. It seems like the New Testament scholarship world is kind of divided of opinion here. On the one hand, it could be because of eschatology. I know, that's a $10 word, isn't it? Oftentimes, eschatology is associated with the end times. I don't think that's accurate. I think it's really supposed to be about the end of one age and the beginning of another. But here's the plain sense of it all. The earlier followers of Jesus, before Jesus ascended to heaven, were told by Jesus and the early preachers of the gospel of Jesus that Jesus is coming again. The new era would come with Jesus. And so it's theorized that maybe there's groups of people, entire groups of people, who are so expectant of Jesus' return to be in their lifetimes that maybe they just quit working, went out to some campsite on the edge of town and sang Kumbaya and prayed, waiting for Jesus to come back. St. Paul would say to them, don't do that. If Jesus comes back in your lifetime, don't you, wouldn't you rather having, have him catch you doing his work rather than being idle, maybe lazy? My favorite teacher was Mrs. Lutz in the sixth grade. Mrs. Lutz, if you're watching this, you were my favorite teacher. She had a way of inspiring us. But that didn't mean that we were perfect angels all the time. One time she told the class, I'll be right back. I, I got to go take care of some business down in the office. Just keep reading in your history books. And so we were reading, and then we started noticing that a couple minutes had gone by, and she doesn't seem like she's coming anytime soon. So we thought we'd prank Mrs. Lutz. We all thought we were clever. Let's turn the desks in the wrong direction. Then someone says, let's draw all kinds of fun stuff on the chalkboard. And then someone else had an older brother who taught them all the cool pranks and said, here's what we can also do. We can put chalk in each eraser so that when Miss Lutz tries to erase our graffiti, she gets more chalk on the board. We thought we were so cool. If we were clever, we would have had someone watch. But we didn't. You know, maybe she could say, hey, Miss Lutz is coming. Turn your desks around or something. Or like, like, be reading so she won't know who did it all. But rather, she came storming in the room to see us all out of our seats, causing a ruckus, catching us doing what we ought not do. If Jesus comes, don't you want Jesus to find you doing his work? The other idea of why some people in the community might not be doing their part is the communal life of the day. The Christians had, the common life shared might enable some to mm, live off the charity of others. Theirs was not an individualistic Western world like you and I are, are living in. The church had a different sort of mentality. In the book of Acts, we find out that the early church, they said, those believers had everything in common. In fact, if someone went without in the community... Other community members might sell their own possessions to provide for the person in need. Theirs was a communal life, a life of solidarity. Now, I know this is hard for us to imagine. We don't quite get that communal today. 
Frankly, in our corporate worship, the closest we ever really get to is, in fact, the offering. It's there when we are saying, here's a bit of my money, and here's a bit of your money, and we're going to put it together to do the one work of God. It's a far cry from our world, though, this ancient world where people lived so commonly together. Perhaps, perhaps some of them are taking advantage of the graciousness of others. Well, whatever the case, this is not the example Paul and the early apostles gave to the church. It was not, as he called it, the tradition. Paul and the early apostles gave them the tradition that says everybody has their part to do. Everyone has something to bring to the table. Our faith is not merely about getting out of this world, but it's a a lived-in reality in this world, and everyone has a hand in it. Remember the words of Rabbi Abraham, Abraham Joshua Heschel, worship is a way of seeing the world in the light of God. And you see the world in light of God, everything is worship. Now, I know there are temptations for many of us when we think about what the church is and what it's there for and maybe how it comports its business. And some of these temptations pull us away from what Paul is trying to say to the people who've gone before us, namely that we all have our part to do. One of these temptations is to think this way, other people will take care of it. And that could be anything. I mean, it could be about maybe the financial situation of the church. We can just imagine, well, someone else has a lot more money than me. Someone else doesn't have the constraints I have. They can take care of it. There's enough people there. It'd be fine. I don't really matter here. Or it could be beyond financial, right? It could be about the the, the picking up of chairs after a meal or meeting the needs of the neighborhood. Someone else will do that work. No, it takes all of us. The church is about being a community of solidarity. It takes all of us. One of the best books that Bonhoeffer wrote was called Life Together to describe the nature of the church. This is your church. These are your ministries. No, you have a part to play. A second temptation that I hear and see and sometimes feel is that I don't have talents to offer. I can't preach. I can't teach. No. You have a part to play. Everyone has their work they need to do. We always need more greeters in the church. We need drivers. The church needs a driver right now to go pick people up from Campbell's Stone. This shouldn't be hard, but it is hard to do. We need people who can bake cookies and people who are good with strangers. We need people who can walk across the room and make people feel welcome. You all have a part to play. We need people who know about technology and sound systems. You probably are aware of that over the past few months. Friends, this is your church. These are your ministries. The third temptation that I sometimes hear, see, or feel myself is, well, I come to church for me. I'm looking for something from God. I need to feel forgiveness, or I, I need to feel relief from my shame. I, I, I just need a connection with God. And so maybe we don't think about giving our time, our talent, our treasure. 
No. Because if you are looking for something from God, singing songs and hearing sermons might not be enough. For it is also true that God shows up when you serve and when you give and when you share. God shows up when you have skin in the game. This is your church, St. Paul would say. And these are your ministries. We all have a part to play. Our faith is just as concerned with this world as it is the next. Let me prove it if I haven't already. The way that our Lord taught his disciples to pray says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, say it with me, as it is in heaven. God stooped into our world and reconciled us. God invites us to the same story of reconciling heaven to earth wherever we go and with whatever means we have to do it, to reconcile God and the world, to bring heaven and earth to overlap. And everyone has a part to play.